All right, Jonah chapter 1. If you have a Bible, go there. Jonah chapter 1. As always, we put the, the scripture up on the screen for you. And then we also have Bibles provided in the seats there for you. And so uh, if you need a Bible, use one of those in the seats. And then if you don't have a Bible back at home, please take that one home. I talked to somebody recently who said, I don't feel right about taking a Bible from church. I said, you're not stealing it. We're giving it to you. It's yours. Take it home. So take that Bible home. It's our gift uh, to you. And uh, yeah, Jonah chapter 1. We're going to begin a a four-week journey um, through the Old Testament book of Jonah. Uh, The book was most likely written by Jonah himself. Most prophets in the Old Testament will write out their message. This prophet here writes out his story, and so it's kind of a unique little book. And uh, it's often remembered, if you know anything about Jonah, as kind of this, this cute children's Christian story. In fact, my, my kids and I, during the uh, snow days of last week, and they were out of school for like four weeks in a row, four days in a row, and then go back to school for three days, and now they're in February vacation. So all that time off that we had, uh, we watched Jonah. Uh, we rented it from the, uh, from the library and watched Jonah the Veggie Tales movie. And uh, it's kind of remembered as this, you know, this cute kid's story. But uh, it's uh, actually very, very dense and just very packed. And uh, it's, it's impactful for a child. It's impactful for a mature believer. And so I'm just really excited for uh, what Jonah has for us, and really ultimately what God has for us through the words and the story of Jonah. Uh, for those of you who maybe grew up in a higher church tradition, uh, this week uh, the high church model of, of church really kind of entered into the season that we know as Lent. It's a six-week season of preparation uh, for Easter. And I really believe that this study, uh, uniquely enough through the book of Jonah, will prepare us for Easter. You know, Jesus himself connected Easter and the story of Jonah. He connects uh, his death and resurrection with the story of Jonah. In fact, let me give you a passage of scripture we'll put on the screen. It's Matthew chapter 12, verse uh, 40 and, and 41 we'll look at. It says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And in verse 41, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And so Jesus connects Jonah and his death and resurrection. Something greater than Jonah is here. That's Jesus, God, who comes to earth in the flesh, enters into humanity. He lays down his life as our substitution, the payment for our sin. And like Jonah, he's buried, or he's in darkness for three days and three nights. And like Jonah... He comes out of that darkness to declare a message. His message, Jesus' message, is that he, with his death and resurrection, defeated Satan's sin and death. And really, not Jonah alone, but all Old Testament stories point back to Jesus. And so this Easter season, let's allow the story of Jonah to point us back to Jesus and to really prepare us uh, for Easter. And so uh, this morning, what I want to specifically look at is I want to look at the workings of sin in a life. It's exactly what you wanted to talk about, right, this morning is sin, right? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I think it'll be really helpful. I want to talk about the, kind of the downward spiral of sin and of rebellion. Now, church, we really long to be a, a shepherding church. One of our values as a church is that shepherding is practiced by all. See, I think a lot of people have this, this idea in Christian culture that shepherding is for the professional Christians, the pastors, the church leaders. But shepherding is for all of us. If we can all engage in shepherding together, we'll be a, a healthy 
church. And, and the scriptures really will point to that in the New Testament specifically, that we're all to be shepherding each other. We're all to be looking out for each other. Galatians 6 tells us that if, if one is in sin, caught in a sin, that we should go uh, help them. We who are spiritual, that would be all of us, right? And so this morning I want to talk about sin and about shepherding and about how to acknowledge sin and, and really understand some of the, the patterns of sin by looking at uh, sin in the life of Jonah specifically. And so let's, let's look at it together so that we can know what it looks like in our life and what it also looks like in the lives of other people so that we can kind of see those, those outworkings of sin. So let me just start by giving a shout out or a special dedication with this message to every guy or girl who's ever had your mama grab you by the face and say, you better straighten up that attitude, young man. You better straighten up that attitude, young woman. Anybody ever have that? Probably, I can't even count how many times as a, as a kid. And so for those of you who know the story and, and where we're going with the story, I decided to call this message, Sorry Attitudes and Stomach Acid, all right? Sorry Attitude and Stomach Acid, because the, the story of Jonah really leads to a mess, a mess, acid, mess, stomach mess. And it, and it really starts with a, a sorry attitude, a bad attitude towards God, towards others, and, and about ourselves. And so Jonah 1, verse 1, let's just, let's get into it. Here's what it says. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. All right, let's interact a little bit here. The, the what of the Lord, according to this? The word of the Lord. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, is an important passage of scripture, says this. It says, the word of God, or the word of the Lord, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing as far as the division of both uh, joints and marrow and soul and spirit. And it is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And so when the word of the Lord comes to us, like it comes to Jonah right here, it really judges the attitudes of our heart. When, When God's commands are really pinpointed into your life, our response really pulls out the condition of our heart. And so the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So now we're talking about the evil city of Nineveh. Now let me tell you a little bit about Nineveh. Nineveh, it was a great city, massive city, second in size in the world only to Babylon at that time, and it would eventually become the capital of the Assyrian Empire And God is telling Jonah, I want you to go and to preach to it. Let them know in Nineveh that they will be judged. Because, according to this, their evil has come up before me. God says, I'm not blind to their evil. I see their, their evil. And they were a relentlessly violent people. I mean, you want to hear violence? These guys were violent. Uh, Zephaniah chapter 2 verse 15 says this. It says that they were a people who lived securely. We're good. We can do whatever we want. It says that they're, they're a city who says, I am, and there is no one else. That was the attitude of Nineveh. Nineveh didn't care. Nineveh did whatever Nineveh wanted to do with no regard for other people. They humiliated other people. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go there, and I want you to declare to Nineveh my coming judgment. Verse 3, but, and it's a big but, and I cannot lie. My, that's my best joke. So if you've heard it before, I'm sorry. That's my best preacher joke. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What did Jonah do? It says, but Jonah rose up to flee. 
He said, ha, God, not going. Not happening. Not the Ninevites. Not going there. You know the story. He gets on a boat, and he flees the scene, right? Jonah didn't want to go, and some people kind of think, well, it's because Jonah was, was scared. I mean, they could kill him, and they probably would have killed him. I mean, this was who these people were. Nineveh is this great, big, scary city. But we, don't, we don't read that Jonah says to God, no, God, I don't, I don't have it in me. I'm, I'm, I'm scared. We don't read that, that Jonah pulls a Moses and goes, God, I, I stutter. Right? He doesn't pull a Moses. No, he just says, no, I, I'm not doing it, and starts running from God. And not only no, but I just quit altogether. I, I quit my job as a pastor, as a prophet to the people of God. He wasn't scared. He was defiant. His attitude stunk, and he hated the, the Ninevites. And, and let's start to kind of not just say, oh, that's Jonah. Let's, let's talk about us for a second. Because sometimes our attitude can stink too, right? And sometimes we can hold grudges, and we can be bitter, and we can have a bad attitude like Jonah. Now, we like to justify our attitudes. Now, let me just give you this, just to show you how you have no room to justify bad attitudes. Jonah, if anybody were justified to have a bad attitude towards somebody, it was Jonah. Let me tell you about the Ninevites so you can just see how bad they were and why Jonah really was like not going. The Ninevites uh, were, it it was a a major city in the the wicked Assyrian empire, would soon become um, the, the capital. And the Assyrians, they were, I mean, just brutal. They were, they were terrible. History tells us that their army would go into a city, just kind of to conquer, and they would go into a city, they would destroy the city, and just completely annihilate the city. They would rape the women, they would torture young boys, they would take grown men, they would skin them alive, they would also dig holes, post holes, and drop men into the post holes, and only the thing that would be sticking out is their head. And then they would even pull their tongue out stake their tongue to the ground, and these people would just die of insanity and pain. If that wasn't enough, they'd make them listen to country music all day long. It was terrible. <laughs> just kidding. Everything else was true. Everything else was true. Now, the trademark of the, the Ninevites was this. The trademark of the calling card of the Ninevites was that they would cut off heads, and they would build a pyramid in front of the city to let everybody know, we've been here, we've defeated them, we're in control. And so Jonah says no. But wait a second, Jonah, God's telling you to declare your judgment to them. God, Jonah, God's telling you to, to go and say, stop this. I've seen your wickedness. I've seen, Jonah, you should be like, all right, let's tell them. Well, here's why Jonah said, I'm not going. It's because Jonah knew he was fully aware of God's proclivity to show grace to people. And so though God said, you're going to declare judgment, Jonah knew that God has this tendency to show grace to people. Now, here's some of us, maybe don't necessarily relate with Jonah, but maybe we really relate with the Ninevites. Wow, God would show them grace. Maybe he could actually show me grace because they were terrible. And God likes to give second chances. He likes to give grace to those who are in rebellion. And God, Jonah didn't want God's grace shown to the Ninevites. Now, Here's the unique irony in all of this, is that now Jonah is the rebel, right? He's going to declare God's judgment and probably ultimately God's grace to the rebels. But now here's Jonah saying, I'm not going, and now he is also one of the rebels in need of grace because he says, no, God, I'm not going. And this, again, describes us at times. We have bad attitudes. We don't want to do what God 
tells us to do. A lot of times we think we're justified. And God, the way he treated me, the way she treated me, you don't know what I've been brought up in. You don't know my childhood. There's all kinds of attitudes that we can have. There's all kinds of things that are, are sinful that are deep and rooted in our lives and maybe hasn't even come out yet. But it's going to come out when God's word is really pinpointed at your life and it exposes the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. So it might be a pride. It might be bitterness like Jonah. It might be anger. It might be lust. It might be the love of money. It might be anxiety. It could be all kinds of things. And it starts to get exposed. It's God's word kind of puts that pressure on your life. Again, when our attitude crosses paths with the word of God, it starts to get exposed. And we're brought to this this point of decision where we can do one of two things. We can either deal with our bad attitude or we can respond in sin and we can disobey God and get off God's path and go in another direction. So what I want to talk about just for the next few minutes together is talk about this path of going away from God, the path to spiritual ruin. What I want to look at is uh, just, just three quick milestones on the path to spiritual ruin. Starts with a sinful attitude, and if you're showing those warning signs of that sinful attitude, maybe God's already kind of stirring your heart a little bit. It's time to deal. Again, let's look at some of the the milestones on the path to spiritual ruin so that you can see them in your life, and you can also, as as a person who's a part of a church, to shepherd each other, can acknowledge them in the lives of other and really learn them. Here's the first one is, I've kind of covered it, is ignoring the word of God. First milestone is just straight up ignoring the, the word of God. Your, your sinful attitude is exposed when God's word comes to you and you can either say, yep, you're right, or you can say, no, not going to do it. In our biblical counseling, we call it the point of decision. You, you kind of get that gut check. Oh, I'm feeling it right now. I can either do what I want to do or I can actually obey the Lord. And it's exposed. Do you worship God or do you worship self? You can say no to God and say, I'm just going to do my own thing. A lot of times uh, we, we, we balk when God's word doesn't really jive with our agenda and what we want to do in our heart. And uh, we're really ex- exposed. And sometimes we don't even necessarily say no to God, some of us. In fact, Jonah eventually comes around and will obey God just to kind of give you a, uh, you know, a little spoiler for the rest of the, the story. Sometimes we don't necessarily say no to God, but we don't obey immediately. And that's also sinful. I remember um, really as a, as a young parent, earlier on in parenting, um, just really learning this principle and wanting to instill it into my uh, boys. And that is that delayed obedience is disobedience. Let me say that one more time. Delayed obedience is disobedience. My little man Isaiah, uh, he's now six, but I, I like to think he's kind of getting this now because I've been teaching it to him for several years. I remember he was about three years old when it really first started to click, that he needs to learn to obey immediately, and not just, I'll obey, but maybe tomorrow, or maybe in a a few minutes when I'm ready to obey. I remember when it hit me, kind of goofy story, but (laughs) my wife was out, and it was me and uh, Isaiah and Luca, his little brother, and Nora wasn't born yet. And my wife was out, and I was all proud. I was, you know, putting together a dinner, (laughs) For my kids, yeah. It was like chicken nuggets in the microwave or something, but I was really proud of it, and I put it on a plate with ketchup, and I said, look at this. I made this meal. It's awesome. And uh, anyways, I, re- I was really proud. I remember saying to Isaiah, Isaiah, come on in, and it's time to eat. And I already had his brother in the, the high chair, and I said, come on in, buddy. Now, Isaiah was watching TV. He was watching Dora the Explorer. And um, 
Isaiah, at that stage in his life, for whatever reason, had this green helmet that he just loved to wear, and he'd always wear it when he watched TV. <laughs> and so I remember looking in, and he's sitting in front of the TV with his underwear, nothing but his underwear, and his helmet. And <laughs> now you can enjoy these stories, because a few years from now, I won't be allowed to tell these anymore, because they'll just absolutely hate me forever. But I'll tell them for a few more years, and so enjoy it. He's sitting in front of the TV with his underwear and his helmet on, and I said, Isaiah, come on in to eat. And I look around the corner, come on in. And um, then I get to working on his his brothers, you know, food and cut, cutting up the chicken nuggets and whatnot. And then uh, I look in, he's still in there. Isaiah, come in. And he says, I- I'm coming, Daddy. And I watched him. And here's what he starts to do. He's watching the TV and he slowly starts walking backwards while still watching Dora the Explorer. Delayed obedience is still uh, disobedience, right? It's disobedience. When you don't do what God's called you to do uh, immediately, a lot of us are saying, God, I'm coming. God, I'm going to obey you when I'm ready. I know what you're saying. I'm, I'm kind of, eventually I'm going to get there. But you're ultimately not obeying. And it's dangerous. You know, it's dangerous for him walking like that backwards. That's why he had the helmet on. It worked out really, really well in case he tripped. But listen, we need to obey immediately. This became really important in my own children's lives as you get a little older, we moved into the city, and, you know, Center Street is ridiculous. You know, it's a lot of senior citizens coupled with snowbanks that, you know, mound up on the side, so you now have a lane and a half, and you're driving through Center Street, and you park and try to parallel park, and it's, it's, it's a very scary thing to, to, to try to parallel park in the winter in Center Street. And so I find now that he's learned to obey immediately so that when we parallel park, and I'm trying to get them out of their car seats, and I... Several times, I can think of several times where I had to say, stop. And if he hadn't stopped immediately, he would have been flattened on Center Street. But because he learned to obey immediately, he is still with us today. Now understand, our immediate obedience is, is a way that God is, is loving on us and protecting us and showing his, his goodness towards us. It's, it's his best for us when we obey. It is always in your best interest to obey God immediately. And a lot of times we're like, I don't know, God, that doesn't really jive with my thinking. It's always in your best interest to obey God immediately. And God knows, he knows that we struggle to trust him and to obey him immediately. But understand that it is always in our best interest. That's why God in scripture, I mean, it's this theme in scripture often is the Psalms and Job will point to the wisdom of God. You don't understand this right now, but you've got to trust me. You don't understand this command. It just seems so weird, especially in your culture, but you've got to trust me. It is here for a reason. It is in your best interest to obey me. I've done a lot of work with teenagers, and at some point, every teenager will think, my parents are out to get me. My parents are out to ruin my life. And then somewhere in their college years, as happened in my life, it clicks. Okay, they were doing that for my best interest, and I didn't quite understand it, but it clicks, right? And, and now I understand that our parents make mistakes, but understand that according to Scripture, God is the, the perfect Father. And so every word and every command, it's perfect, and it is perfectly there, and always in your best interest to obey Him immediately. And I just love how this, this short little narrative of, of Jonah's life and sin, um, it, it, really, it really helps us to understand uh, the truths of sin. Eventually, 
Jonah will obey, but not immediately. And so he goes through all kinds of trouble until he decides to obey. And so the, the first milestone on the path to spiritual ruin is disobedience to the word of God. It really stems from an attitude that says, God, whatever I'm doing right now is so much more important than what you have for me. It's an attitude that says, I choose Dora over Daddy, right? And it's a bad attitude, and it's distrust in the Lord. Now, listen, there are going to be times, many times in our lives, where God calls us to do things that we just don't want to do. And it's the point of decision. Maybe you're even there right now. Maybe God's bringing specific things to your mind. I'm at a point of decision right now. And I can either do what I want to do or I can trust God. I want to implore you to trust God and to obey him. Here's the second milestone on the path to spiritual ruin. It says, running from God. Look at verse 3. Let's read verse 3 of Jonah. It says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish. For, uh, away from the presence of the Lord. And so here's what God, Jonah does. He, rather than obeying God, he, he starts to run, and he goes uh, west down to Joppa, southwest to, to Joppa, and he finds a ship that's going to Tarshish, uh, very far away from where he was supposed to be going, eastward uh, towards Assyria, uh, specifically to uh, Nineveh. And it says uh, this. It's really interesting. It says Jonah is running from what? If you want to look at verse 3 again, Jonah is running from what? He's running from the presence of the Lord. And it says that twice. Again, in Scripture, whenever it repeats something, it says that to add emphasis. Jonah is running from the presence of the Lord, not just from obeying the Lord. He straight up doesn't want to be in the presence of the Lord at this point. That's where he's at in his faith. I don't even want to be around God anymore. So this week for me, for just some personal reading and some personal encouragement, I was reading in uh, Psalm chapter 139, uh, verses 7 and 8. Listen to what it says here. I love this. It says this. It says, where shall I go from your spirit, David says? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And so for King David, who's writing this this psalm here, the, the presence of the Lord for him was very encouraging, and it, it spoke to protection. And he, he loved the fact that I can't go anywhere away from the presence of the Lord. But for Jonah, in this situation, he is straight up running from the presence of the Lord. And no, you'll notice in your own life that when you're in obedience to the Lord, you love God's presence. You just want to be where the presence of the Lord is. You just want to draw near to him. But when you're uh, rebelling against God, you want to get away, get out from under the presence of the Lord. You want to run. And this is kind of where Jonah's at at this point in his sin. He's, he's running from the presence of the Lord. Got to get away. It's just too convicting to be around the presence of the Lord when you're not walking in obedience. Have you ever been there? A place where you're like, I can't even read the Bible because it's just painful for me right now because I'm so rebelling. God, I want to pray to you, but it's painful to pray to you. I just can't even pray where the, the presence of the Lord for you can, can at times be convicting. God says, no, come home, come home, come home. Jonah couldn't even be in the northern kingdom of Israel anymore. It was just too convicting. And this is what happens to us when we're in sin. Maybe you've seen it before in your own life, where you start to distance yourself from Christian relationships because you're in sin. 
Maybe other Christians start to avoid you. You find that? Because they're in sin. Now, here's how it looks in Scripture that non-Christians should be drawn to Christians because Christians are to be, as the Scripture tells us, we're to be a light, Matthew chapter 5. So we should be drawn, non-Christians should be drawn to the light. But Christians who are willfully disobeying the Lord, they'll start to, to distance themselves. Have you ever seen that in your own life or in other relationships where, where people distance themselves and you say, where did they go? Man, I haven't seen them at church in a long time. It's like they're avoiding me or something. They oftentimes are. Maybe they don't even realize it. They're not intentionally saying, I'm not going to church. They're not intentionally saying, I don't want to talk to you. But they are subconsciously starting to avoid being near the things of the Lord. And there's maybe growing space between you and them or even the church and them. We haven't gone anywhere, but they're running. And it could be because being in the presence of the Lord when you're willfully disobeying the Lord, it can be really convicting. Now, it's usually not just that person alone fleeing from the presence of the Lord, but usually there's a boat, kind of like with Jonah here. Usually we get on something else. There's some kind of vehicle that helps us go the opposite direction for him, eastward or westward away from God. There's really no shortage of boats, are there? I mean, the enemy, Satan, loves to just provide a nice, beautiful boat for you to usher you away from the presence of the Lord be the party boat, right? And it's a specific boat that's just designed. It's got all kinds of pleasures in your life. You know, you just whatever it is to pleasure you, to pull you away from the Lord or the cruise liner. We don't want to think about cruise liners after this past week. Uh, you know how the cruise liners are? I remember I've been on like two or three cruises in my life. You don't even want to get off the boat. Like, Cozumel, who cares? I'm on the boat. This thing is awesome, right? And there's just so much to do on the boat. I mean, there's casinos and all kinds of restaurants and pools and hot tubs, and it's awesome. You don't even want to get off the boat, and, and maybe that's what the vehicle is for you. It's just busyness. There's just so much to do that I don't even, it's just the vehicle that's pulling you away from the Lord. It could be the sunset cruise boat. It's pulling you this way and just got your eyes on the horizon. Watch, it's coming, it's coming. And maybe for you, it's the vehicle is just the next big thing. When I graduate, then I'll, then I'll come back to the Lord. Or when I get married, uh, then I'll settle down. And when I have kids, then we'll settle down. Or uh, maybe whatever it is, I get that job. That's, that means God's really there. We have things that are vehicles that will serve for us as uh, a boat, a vehicle to pull us away from the presence of the Lord. And we need to be mindful of that. That's how it was for Jonah. But you've got to understand, you cannot run from God. Where can I go from your presence? David says, nowhere. I always have this image it's not a nice image, so don't take it too far. But I just have this image of God, you know, like holding an ant farm. You know, it's like, you're running really fast, but I see everywhere you're going. I'm just right here, you know. God is right there, and you cannot run from his presence. You notice in this, this book, there are two main characters in this little book of Jonah. There's Jonah, and guess what? Wherever Jonah is, the other character is God. He's always right there. So Jonah's on this boat. Look at verse 4. Jonah's on this boat, and it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So God sends a storm. I want you to see this. This is important. That, that God interjects. 
He stretches out his arm and he interjects at every single point upon this downward spiral of sin and rebellion. And the great theme of the book of Jonah is that God's grace and God's compassion has no limits. It doesn't matter how far you think you are from God. God is right there and he's still reaching into your life saying, I'm here, I'm here. You feel like you're further away from me than you've ever been before. You're not. I'm right here. All you have to do is turn back to me. And milestone number one, wrong attitude. God interjects with a command. He says, you got a bad attitude. Here's a command. I'm interjecting. I'm trying to get your attention. I have a command for you. I want you to do something. Jonah says, no. Milestone number two, he's, he's fleeing, right? He's, he's, he's running. What does God do? He interjects with a storm. Jonah, I'm trying to get your attention. Here's, here's a storm. Now, sometimes, according to James chapter one, storms are in our lives to strengthen us, to to, to, to help us get stronger in the Lord, kind of like, you know, weightlifting, right? You're, you have the pressure on you so that you can build up muscle. Also, in the Scripture, there are times like this where storms come upon your life to get your attention. It is not God being mean. It is God being compassionate. Sometimes things hard happen, and God is using hard things to get your attention because you're running towards spiritual ruin, and he's saying, no, I, it seems mean, but I love you, and this is what I have to do to get your attention. Remember when your parents discipline you as a child? They say, I do this because I love you. And you're like, what are you talking about? What does this have to do with love, right? Now we understand. God does it because he loves us and he's seeking to get our attention. And he's saying, turn back, turn back. I want your attention. What does Jonah do instead, though? Instead of turning back to God, look at verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid. Each cried out to his God. Notice the lowercase g to his God, pagan gods, false gods. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So here's the third milestone, final milestone on the the path. And this milestone can last forever, at least until you die. And that is distracting yourself from God. He's interjecting, he's trying to get your attention, and you're distracting yourself. The storm is raging, what does Jonah do? He's like, man, I just can't handle this. I'm going to go sleep in the middle of the storm. And this could be some of us. God's giving us things, calling you to repent. Maybe it's a conversation, maybe it's a storm, maybe it's uh, just all kinds of things that have happened in your life, and God's using it to say, repent, turn, come back to me. I love you, I'm here. And you're just doing whatever you can to distract yourself. And he's, he's distracting himself with sleep. Maybe for you it is sleep. You sleep the days away because of the pain. Maybe it's busyness. I'm distracting. I'm just going to be as busy as possible. Maybe it's a new relationship, and that becomes the vehicle for you. Maybe it's a substance. Maybe it's internet. Maybe it's blowing time on Facebook. Whatever it is, we, we like to distract ourselves, ignoring God and ignoring other people when they even come at us and, and warn us. Notice at this point, this is really important, the ship is going down, Right? The ship is going down. They realize that they are dying. All of these mariners, these other sailors on the boat, they are like, we are dying. Let's call out to our gods. Let's throw stuff overboard, lighten the load, because we are dying. Every man's calling out to his God. We're dying. Listen, if you think that your sin only affects you, you are severely mistaken. Jonah's sin him being asleep in the bottom of the boat. Now, boat's crashing. It's going to be done because of the storm. He's bringing that whole boat and all those people down with him. And our sin 
has a real effect on other people. Your sin has a real effect on other people. Some of the most hardest conversations that I've had, especially working with teenagers, are teenagers whose parents want to get divorced. And I have the, I have the, the, the challenge of trying to comfort them when I know and they full well know that it's because their parents' selfishness. I'd rather move on to somebody who's younger and better looking or this person meets my needs better and so I'll just bail on my spouse and my children will suffer and go down with it. Some of the most challenging conversations I've ever had in my life. Some of us are like, well, that's not me though. Listen, even the secret sins in your life that you think nobody knows, they affect other people. Fellas, your internet usage, the things that we see on the internet, I think it's just me, that will affect your future marriage or your marriage that you're in now. See, a lot of times we buy into this lie that my sin, the things that I do, it doesn't really affect anybody. You only live once, or I'm just going to do my own thing. It's all good. It's just I'm going to live life to the fullest, and it's, it doesn't affect anybody but me. Others of us will, will, will kind of like Jonah go so far as, I understand it might hurt other people, but I don't even care at this point. Some people go so far in that path to spiritual ruin that they just straight up apathetic. I don't even care who it hurts. And, and, and even the captain of the ship, check this out, even the captain of the ship realizes the craziness of Jonah's apathy. Look at verse 6. Check out verse 6. It says, So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will, will, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So Jonah's at this point, he's like, Listen, man, why are you sleeping? We're all calling out to our gods. We're all throwing stuff overboard, and you're sleeping? You have a God, right? Call out to him. Help us out here, man. He's just like, what are, you, what are you doing? And again, every step along the path, God interjects. And now God's interjecting with a confrontation here, right? He uses the captain. He's going to use the sailors, too. Look at verses 7 through 10. It says, and they said to one another, the sailors, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And so the sailors here determined, all right, this is bad. This seems like beyond just nature. This must be God. Someone's to blame here. We got this stranger over here. I don't know what he's all about. And so what they do is they, they cast lots. It's kind of a way of determining, you know, it's like choosing numbers to figure out who's going to be on your team. They cast lots. I don't know what that exactly looked like. I mean, they drew straws and Jonah got the shortest straw. Or if they just took a bunch of rocks and threw them in the air and they fell out and spelled Jonah on the deck. I, I don't have a clue what cast lots looks like in this uh, instance. But somehow in God's sovereignty, he says, it's Jonah, guys. It's that stranger over there, Jonah. And so they start to barrage him with all these questions. What's happening? Who do you work for? Where do you come from? Who are your people? What's your, what are you all about? And what does Jonah say? What does he answer? He says, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Some people 
in their rebellion, still claim Christ, don't they? Man, that's why Jesus says in Revelation, he's like, I wish you were either hot or cold. Because you're lukewarm, you're right in the middle, I just want to spit you out of my mouth. Because you're kind of not the real deal, and you're still saying, I'm a Christian. And everybody's like, what is a Christian, man? I'm confused because you were with me this past weekend. I don't, I don't get this, right? And here's Jonah, even in his rebellion, saying, I'm a Hebrew. I follow the Lord. I fear the Lord. He's my God. And they're, I, don't, I don't get this. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2? He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? He says, may it never be. See, the people in, in, in the midst of our rebellion, a lot of times we'll still claim Christ and just chalk it up to grace. Well, God is gracious and loving and compassionate. Well, he is, but he also wants you to live like you believe him and don't abuse grace like Paul says here. And so the sailors kind of move forward in their God-ordained confrontation, and they say, how could you do this? You're killing us, man. Literally, we're going to die because of you. We're about to die at sea. Verse 11 says, as we get into it in just a minute, verse 11 says, the sea grew more and more tempestuous. It's just going to get even worse. It's almost over. They're facing the, the end of the path of spiritual ruin for Jonah. For us, it leads to death and eternal separation from the Lord. It ends in ruin. It starts with a bad attitude, and then it leads to ignoring the word of God who is confronting bad attitudes. Then it leads to running from God, running from his people, and then distracting yourself from God, and you can do that until the day you die. You say, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it. Distract myself. But eventually it leads to death and separation from God. And Jonah is there, and he's bringing other people down with him. Let me give you a couple frightening verses for me. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. God says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. Hosea chapter 4, verse 7, God says to the people of Israel, let him alone. God forbid that that ever takes place in our life, that we have so ignored the Lord, we have so distracted ourselves from the Lord that it comes to this point where it's just like, he says, they, they, they don't want him. Let him run the race. A lot of people in our culture get ticked off at the idea that God wants to be involved in your life and have a say in your life. The worst thing that God could do is remove that hand interjecting into your life and say, let him alone, Hosea 4, 7. Or my spirit will not strive with him any longer. And God ceases convicting you of your sin. That would be a terrible Every step along the way, God's interjecting. A command, a storm, a confrontation. And it's pretty much over, right? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, there are two paths. There's a broad path, and there's a narrow path. There's a, a boat that leads to Tarshish, or there's a hike to Nineveh. And Jesus says, one path will lead to life, and one path will lead to destruction. So we all kind of have a, a choice like, like Jonah. We're going to follow the path that leads to life. It's narrow and it's hard and few will find it, Jesus says, or we can take the path to destruction. Here's Jonah's path. Good news. Verses 11 and 12. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you for the sea so that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, 
Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Keep going. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land. We don't want to kill them. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, Jonah's God, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. So the sailors, they didn't want to kill Jonah. He said, get me off this boat. It's me. He finally owns up to his sin. He finally says, I'm going in the wrong direction. It's going down because of me. Get me off the boat. They said, we don't want to kill this guy. And so they, they start rowing, but then it just doesn't, they can't get anywhere. And they finally have to, to throw him overboard. And they realize he's right. We've got to throw him overboard. And as soon as they throw him overboard, the, the sea stops raging and the storm is gone and we see God's mercy even on these Gentiles like we're going to see in chapter 3 on the, the, the Ninevite Gentiles. And God is extending his hand and his mercy and his, his grace. We can take it, we can follow it in complete obedience or we can just keep on that path to spiritual ruin which will lead to destruction. And Jonah was on it for a really long time it seemed like. Just all kinds of crazy stuff. But now we start to see him getting back on to the right path, following the Lord. I think a great example of this whole situation would be like a high-speed police chase. I always watch those, you know, on TV and just think, these guys are imbeciles. What are they? Never goes well, a high-speed police chase, you know, with the authorities kind of interjecting all along the way. This past winter for Christmas, we went to be with my family. And um, my dad has this... Uh, 1968 Charger. It's the Dukes of Hazard, Same car, except his is yellow with a black vinyl top. And this is a big deal. A big milestone in my life happened. My dad let me drive it. It took three decades for me to be old enough to drive his car. Uh, but now I'm old enough to drive uh, the car. And uh, we drove that muscle car around for about an hour um, a couple months ago. And I've got to be honest. I'm driving this thing around. I thought about Dukes of Hazard a little bit. My wife in the, the seat beside me. I've got to be honest, I thought, the cops were to flash the lights. <laughs> could I outrun them? I mean, this, this is a beast of a car. Could I out? I didn't do it, don't worry. But I, I definitely wondered. Like, all right, if I got to a stoplight, and I had been speeding, and they turned the lights on, could I outrun them? Man, that's, isn't that, it never goes well, police chase, right? It's ridiculous. You watch it on TV, these guys just go and go, and it starts with this kind of this attitude like, eh, I can outrun them. And then they flash the lights, and they just keep going. And then they, other things come, and God uses other things in our lives to get our attention. Not, maybe it's his word, maybe it's people, all kinds of things to, to get our attention. And then they call ahead on the, the chase, right, to the next town over, and eventually, if you're going to get on the highway, you think you're going to go forever? No. The, the cops in the next town over are going to be waiting for you, and what are they going to do? They're going to hurl out the strip so that you run over and you get flat tired, just like God hurls out the storm, right, to get the attention. And then, then it's ridiculous because then their tires are gone, and they're, just, and they're going like 20, you know, and then the tires eventually burn out, and the sparks are flying. 
It's just ridiculous. And then they're just going and they're cruising. I'm thinking, what are you thinking? Are you seriously thinking you're going to get away at this point? And then it's just, it's just so, so dumb. And then finally they jump out of the car and they start running. Oh, yeah, you're, this is really going to work, my man. You're running down the highway, right? They block them in. And then it kind of gets to this point where it seems like they all eventually either get knocked down and tackled and it's over and they're locked up. Or they can raise up their hands and say, man, I'm so tired. <laughs> Can't do this anymore. And man, I just pray that we'll get to that place soon, not later. We don't have a ruined charger. <laughs> we would raise up our hands and say, God, I'm tired of running from you. I'm, I'm, I'm yours. And then what do the police do? They slam them on the hood of the car and they handcuff them. What does God do? Hands are up. He walks right past us. And he walks to his son. Handcuffs him. Hangs him on a cross. He takes our punishment. We don't take our punishment. After all of that, this crazy chase, running from God, those guys who are running from the police, they're putting people's lives in jeopardy. Our sin pulls other people down. It hurts other people, family, children, people we're close to, people we're not close to because it destroys the the reputation of the Lord for those non-Christians around us. All of that craziness, and if we will just finally throw our hands up in the air, he doesn't slam us on the hood and lock us up. God's grace knows no end. God would say to you, I know you think you're far from me. It's been a long chase, but I've got you. But it's not like I got you, you're busted, let me lock you up. But it's, I got you like the prodigal son and his father. And he finally comes home, and the father jumps on him. But it's not like a jump on him. It was a, I love you, son. And he's hugging him and kissing him and throws him a party. That's what God wants to do for you. Do not ever think that you are too far gone for God. It's a crazy journey. A lot of rebellion. But God's interjecting. And today, for you, might even be God interjecting. You're here because God is saying to you, I've got a plan for you. I love you. I'm here. Come back to me. Return to me. We just have to say, God, I surrender. I'm yours. I'm totally yours. Let's finish with the last verse, verse 17. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So, this is crazy. Instead of sinking to the bottom of the sea and dying, God sends a fish, big fish, to swallow him, to save him. Now listen, some of us will say yes to God. I realize I'm done. I'm just throw me overboard, God. And God will show you his grace, and he will not lock you up. He will place punishment on his son Jesus, who didn't deserve the punishment because he was perfect and without sin, but he takes on your punishment on the cross as a substitution for you. But yet there can still be a season of God doing some deep work in your heart. And as we read next week in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah inside the belly of this fish. God does some really deep work in Jonah's heart. And maybe your repentance, your coming to God is going to be followed by him doing some cool stuff, some deep stuff in your life. But it is, it's, it's important.
And so I would call you, if you have yet to turn to Jesus, and to say, I'm, I'm done running from you, I would call you to say yes to him. I surrender. And he will say, Man, I love you. Hug you. I'm here for you. You're, you're mine. Stop ignoring. Stop running. Stop distracting. And finally, surrender. You're not too far gone. And Christians in this room, I pray that this is helpful for us so that we can understand the outworkings of sin in a life, in our own life and in the lives of other people. We're not trying to run around like spiritual hall monitors and point our fingers at people all the time, but it is our task out of shepherding, being a shepherding church, to love people enough to confront them when they're in sin and when they're running from God because I love you and I care for you. I'm not just trying to be a jerk and get up in your business, but I love you and I care for you and I want for you what is God's best according to the scripture. And so hopefully that's helpful for you as well to understand sin. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your word. Your word is truth. A big story about a guy getting swallowed by a fish. Seems crazy. But if you can make everything that we see, nudging a a fish to swallow a man, not too crazy. God, we just thank you for sign of your grace for this man who's rebelling from you, who ran from you. He fell from a very far, far distance from being a, a, a preacher, a prophet, to completely quitting and ignoring you and running from you. It's a big sign of your grace, and we just praise you for that. And I pray that if there's anybody in this room who's been running from you and they need to come back to you, they would say yes to you today and recognize that you love them and that Jesus has taken uh, the punishment for them. And God, help us to use this information about sin, this kind of this better understanding about sin, to be a church that's healthy, a church that honors you. Oh, we just love you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.